you would take your Bibles and let's open the Word of God to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And we'll read down through, uh, let's see, verse 11. Verses 1 through 11. All right, let's pray first and then we'll begin. Lord, how we love you today and how we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather freely around the Word of God and to be able to learn, Lord, and live what we learn. We thank you, Lord, for this practice of being able to attend the preaching of God's Word, to being able to worship you and lift up your name in song and in prayer and in fellowship. And so, Lord, as we look to you now through your Word, we just ask that you'd be our teacher and guide, that you'd speak to every heart. Lord, that you'd open our understanding, that you'd guide our thoughts, and that you would make the Word of God personal by showing us what you'd have us do because of what we learned today. So, Give us that application. Make it rich to us, Lord, that we might have guidance and direction and blessing in our life by living out your your word as we learn it today. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you so much. All right, verse 1, the Bible says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you? Whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And we're going to stop our reading right there. Wow, what a text, right? Well, today I want to preach a message entitled, Biblical Advice for Daily Living. Biblical Advice for Daily Living. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, it may take me two weeks to get through all of this, but I'm going to give you a good bit today. We're going to get it, dive right into this. What a text. Matthew chapter 7. God is dealing with some important things for the Christian in this modern world to understand. And I say that, but I I say it also understanding that the Word of God is timeless. And the the Christian in every generation has needed these thoughts and these these, uh, guidelines for daily living. We all deal with tough issues. Every time period faces them. And as a believer, we need to know how to face those issues from God's perspective. Remember that as Christians, we represent the Lord in this world. 
If you know Christ as your Savior, if you've been born again by the grace of God, then you're a child of God in this world, and the Bible says that you are supposed to be light in a dark world, and, and you're supposed to be salt, right? Representing the value, the flavor uh, of life that, that God gives so freely. Now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then, then this is not the message you need this morning. You need the message of John three sixteen to come to know the Lord as your Savior, that he died for you to pay for your sins. And uh, if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do that today so that you can have the assurance of your own salvation as you begin. So for us who are saved, notice in our text we have some important words. These are important words because they are so misunderstood. I've thought often about writing a book and and calling it Twisted Scriptures. (laughs) Well, if I had, this would be one of them. Because verse 1 of Matthew chapter 7 is one of the most twisted scriptures of all time. And I say twisted because it is, it is misused and often misrepresented to suit the purposes of those who would misuse it. Let's look today at what God was trying to say when he gave us this verse. What is the point of Matthew 7.1? What did God really mean? Are we never to make a judgment about what's going on around us or about those who are involved in it? I think you'll find that contrary to the teachings of Scripture. The Bible says in verse seven, or in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not that ye be not judged. And all of these verses in between are going to tie that thought together with verse 5. Thou hypocrite. What does he say? First. Right? First, cast the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. These verses in between, the Lord is creating a picture. If you have a red letter edition Bible, all of these words are in red, which means Jesus spoke these words. He taught us this this principle. So what's it all about? Verse 2 says, For with what judgment ye meet, ye shall be judged. Notice in verse 3, he said, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Somebody said, when you point a finger, you have three others pointing back at you. Well, that's a good concept to remember, that you are not above them in judgment. That's what Jesus is trying to say. When you judge someone else, remember yourself. Don't exempt yourself from judgment, because none of us are. We are all going to be judged equally one day, right? And that's the premise of this text. So Jesus really here is trying to say, don't judge someone else and think that you're not going to be judged. It's the whole idea that he starts this passage with. Because he tells us that the judgment we use on others is also going to be used on us in verse 2. So then in verse 3, he talks about the the beam and the moat. Now, I'm not going to do a whole word study this morning, and I'm going to encourage you to do that, all right? Do your homework, look those words up. Here's what the idea is. The moat is smaller than the beam. The moat is in your brother's eye, the beam being in your eye. So what Jesus is saying in this text is, don't be quick to point out other people's problems or faults or sins when you have a bigger one to deal with in your own life. Right? 
Don't miss that. Verse 3 is the premise of the whole text. He's saying you're not in a position to help somebody else with their problem when their problem is smaller than yours. You've probably heard it said like this. Clean up your own backyard before you clean up somebody else's, right? That's what Jesus is trying to say here. So when he says in verse 1, judge not that you be not judged, he's not saying don't ever make a judgment call about an issue, about a position, about somebody or their activity. He's not saying don't ever put a label on it. What he is saying is don't run around labeling everybody else's sins when you got your own to deal with. Right? Let me give you a good, a good thing to remember. Context gives clarity in Bible study. Context gives clarity. There's a lot of people that like to pick up one verse of the Bible and run with it. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's read the verses around that verse... Let's get the context of the conversation that God was trying to have with us and let's try to understand what was God trying to say with that verse. So in Matthew 7, 1, what what our opponents would have us believe often is that we are to never make a judgment call. Oh no, let's not judge. That's not the message of Matthew chapter 7. The message of Matthew chapter 7 is, get your own heart right with God first before trying to get other people's hearts right with God. Look at verse 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast, out the, cast the beam out of thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly. You see that? To cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. God didn't say, don't cast the moat out of your brother's eye. He said, first, deal with your beam. Look, let's say it like this. Look, look what the Bible says. Verse 3. And why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Now, remember what I said earlier? The moat is smaller than the beam. So for illustration purposes, let's say the moat is a splinter. The beam is a board. Does that make sense now? So Jesus is saying, why are you looking at other people's splinters when you've got a board of a problem to deal with? You're, you're trying to wash a splinter out of someone's eye when you've got a two-by-four in yours. So what's he saying? First, get yourself right. Deal with your issue. Judge yourself. And then you can see clearly, in verse 5 he says, then you can see clearly to help your brother. And what I'm seeing is a, a whole world that's confused about this because nobody's seeing clearly. According to this text, we don't see clearly when we don't align ourselves first with God's Word. You do the hard work. You do your homework. Align your life with God's Word. 
And then you will clearly be able to help someone else align theirs. Does that make sense? Now, when we consider the context of this passage, wow, that just sure lightens up the whole thing. Now I understand what God was trying to say. What was he trying to say? Here it is. If you're taking notes, this is number one. Biblical advice for daily living. Jesus said, number one, don't be a hypocrite. Just don't do that. Don't run around finding fault and criticizing everybody else when your problem is bigger than theirs. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't be a hypocrite. You know, it seems like Christians are some of the best fault finders around. Some think that that's their spiritual gift. God doesn't really want you running around criticizing everybody and fault finding everywhere with everything. If you study your Bible, you'll find that that does not edify. If we have some criticism, we need to make it constructive. First, you need to be qualified to give it. And that means that your moat is dealt with. First, the Bible says, first. Jesus didn't say, don't ever judge. He said, first, cast the beam out of thine own eye. Then, when you see clearly, you can help somebody else. He didn't say, don't help somebody else. He said, make sure that your issues dealt with first. And that when you help somebody else, that you're seeing clear. Right? Hey, that takes a lot of practice, a lot of self-examination, a lot of humility. Right? And it takes the effort of being right yourself. And so we need to make sure we are. Now, nobody's perfect. But we should be trying. And we should, have, we should not have obvious faults that are bigger than the one we're trying to correct. If that's the case then you need to just step aside, disqualify yourself, and let somebody else see clearly and help them. Right? Don't be a hypocrite. This text is telling us, judge not. Now, when he says judge not, he's not talking about fruit inspecting, as we know it in the Bible. He's saying measure yourself, not others. Right? Notice in verse uh, 2, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So whatever standard you use to measure other people, you remember that's going to be turned back on you. God's going to judge you by that standard also. What does that mean? It means first, cast the beam out of your own eye. Be sure that you have no obvious faults before you try to help others because that is hypocritical. Now, does God want his children to never judge, never put a label, never identify right from wrong, good from bad? Sin from righteousness? Are we never to do that? What does the Bible say? Let me show you a few verses. You know, a good Sunday school teacher once told me this. He said, don't let what you don't know disturb what you do know. I'll say that again. Don't let what you don't know disturb what you do know. With that in mind, let's look at a few Bible verses. Turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans. What does the Bible say about us examining and judging in this life? 
Romans chapter 16, notice verse 17. Paul, writing the book of Romans, says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you have learned, and avoid them. Paul said there's a time when a line is to be drawn. There's a time when fellowship is to be avoided. And here it is. When someone is living against, speaking against, teaching against the doctrine, and I would say, if you're a Bible student, I would say these are fundamental doctrines. There are things we don't part fellowship over. There's room for disagreement about some things in Scripture. But then there are some core fundamentals that we have to agree on if we're going to fellowship one with another. Right? Because even Amos said, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Things like salvation by grace. Right? And the deity of Christ. I'll stop there, but doctrine. Notice Philippians. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, again, Paul writing, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. He said, mark those that are walking well and doing right. You have us as an example, the ones that do what we do. He said, mark them. Obviously, you're going to have to make a judgment call about who that is. Right? So you're identifying quietly in your own mind and in your own heart. You're identifying them who walk contrary to the doctrine. And then you're identifying those who walk with doctrine in the light of truth. That's for your knowledge. You don't, have to, you don't have to get a megaphone. You don't have to announce it to the world. But he said, in your own heart and mind, you need to know the difference between these two groups. Those that are walking in the light and those that are not. All right? Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians, if you will. 2 Thessalonians. Notice what he said in chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 6. Paul, again, says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which ye have received of us. How are you going to withdraw yourself if you don't first identify who they are? If you don't first identify and discern the disorderly conduct that's taking place. Look, Christians have a responsibility to do that sometimes. We have to identify what's right and what's wrong. God tells us to do that in His Word. Now again, we don't have to do it as a fault finder. You don't need a megaphone. You don't have to announce it to the world. But in your own heart and mind, you better know the difference. You need to know the difference if you're going to do what God says that we ought to do in our daily living. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a lot of verses. There are others. I'm just showing you a few. I want you to get the gist of, of this subject. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, he says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. Paul said, look, when people are walking disorderly and they're living a life that's contrary to what God's word says, we can't just hang out with them and act like everything's fine. Paul said, don't do that. That means we have to judge. It means we have to make a discerning decision about where that line is drawn between right and wrong. We have to be able to identify that disorderly conduct that he's talking about. Now, Matthew chapter 7 is not telling us to never judge a situation. That's where the world gets it wrong. Look, the world doesn't understand the Bible because they don't read it. They only read the parts that sound like what they want to say. And judge not sounds real good to them. It fits the narrative. It's convenient. Because then it silences their critics and allows them to do whatever in the world they want to. God's word never gave anyone a license to do whatever you want to. And so we have to remember that. Matthew 7 is not telling us to never judge. It's telling us to not be a hypocrite in judgment. And by the way, when you make your judgment, you don't need a megaphone. It doesn't have to be a public event. These are discernments that you make in your own heart and mind. You don't have to announce it to the world. But may I say, there are times when this world will put you in a position when you have to speak the truth. When you have to say, this is where I stand. And when that time comes, you're going to have to be willing to do that. You're not only going to need discernment to tell you where to stand, but you're going to need discernment to how to communicate that stand in a public forum. The last thing the world needs or the church needs is a bunch of critics who walk around fault-finding everywhere they go. Nobody likes that. God is not advocating that. And Matthew 7 is warning us against it. Don't be a hypocrite in judgment. That's what Matthew 7 is saying. Judge not that you be not judged is a message to those would-be critics, those would-be fault finders who go around doing that everywhere they go. The message to them is you are going to be judged by the same standard. The message is, don't be a hypocrite. It's a strong message. But don't let the world talk you in as a believer to believing that you are to never make a judgment. Because the Bible says there are many instances where you have to make the call. Do I fellowship with this person or not? Do I support this or not? Where do I stand as a believer? The challenge to us today as Bible-believing Christians is that we need to learn to stand on issues 
where God stands. When, when we do that well, we kind of take ourselves out of the picture. You know, the world wants to make it personal, right? But I like it when I'm able to say, look, I'm just doing what the Bible says. It's not personal. I didn't write this. I'm not even smart enough to write this. This is God. God wrote this. And this is what the Bible says about the matter. So what is that? It removes me. And now if you have issue with that, you have an issue with God. Here's why it's hard sometimes. Because sometimes people we care about, sometimes our feelings get in the way of that judgment. And the challenge you and I have as believers is to stand on the principles of God's word and make our decisions based on that, not based on how we feel. If you, tra- if you live the Christian life by your feelings, you're not going to be consistent. And sometimes you're not going to be clear. And sometimes you're not going to be right. Because your feelings will override your faith and put you in a position of compromise if you're not careful. Well, the Bible deals with all of that. And God is trying to give us some clarity of how to deal with these issues. And here's the point of Matthew 7. You're not going to have clarity until you fix the sin in your own life first. Don't be a hypocrite in judgment. It doesn't say never judge. He's saying don't be a hypocrite in judgment. Verses 1 through 5 all go together. It's part of the context. You can't read verse 1 without understanding the next verses all the way to verse 5. So in verse 5, he gives us that clarity. And he tells us that once you deal with the, with the beam in your own eye, the board in your own life, once you deal with the bigger problem that you have, then it says you shall see clearly to cast the moat, the splinter, out of your brother's eye. Now the problem is sometimes the way we look at life, <laughs> everybody's problem is bigger than ours. <laughs> right? Well... That's a warped view of life. I hope you understand that. That's bias. And if you don't deal with that, then you're never going to understand the text of Scripture like this, where God tries to tell us how to deal with things. So he doesn't say don't judge at all. He says you get right first, and then when you have clarity and you can speak right, then he says you can help someone. So don't be a hypocrite in judgment. That's point number one. Number two, biblical advice for daily living. Verse number six, Jesus continues. He says, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot, under their feet, and turn again and rend you. So what is he saying here? What's the message? First, don't be a hypocrite. Now he's saying, don't be trivial with truth. Don't be trivial with truth. I hope you're the kind of Christian that comes to church eagerly anticipating what God has for you. I hope that you open your Bible every day eagerly anticipating how God is going to use it in your life. 
I hope you're the kind of Christian that eagerly anticipates every lesson, every sermon, every message you hear online, on the radio, on television, and so forth. Every time you come to the Word of God, you're eager about what God has for you. I hope you're that way. But you've got to understand, not everyone is. Because we love God and we love His Word, we know that Jesus died for us and that God loves us and, and we know what all of that means to us. But you've got to remember, we live in a world not everybody cares about what God said. So what does the Bible say in context of us interacting with them? He says, watch out. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. Give not that which is holy to the dogs. It's like trying to host Sunday school in a biker gang. Yeah, it's not going over very well. Why? They're not interested. They don't want to hear that. They're not going to receive the message or the truth of it. They're going to trample it underfoot. When you're in those situations, what's the Lord saying? It's better to just withhold that. This is an interesting message to us. Don't be trivial with truth. It means that you and I should give insight to those who are seeking it. It means that you and I must consider our audience. Now look, when it comes to John 3.16 and when it comes to evangelism, you know, the Bible's clear. Every creature, right? You can't witness to the wrong person. Interested or not, like it or not, they need to hear it, right? They have a decision to make. What will they do with Christ? You and I as faithful witnesses are to tell them that. But there are other things that we need to consider our audience. We need to learn to give the right message to the right crowd. And when you understand this truth, then you understand something else. You begin to realize that silence is not always approval. There you go. A story comes to mind. I don't know if this is the best illustration of this point or not but there was a family that got very disgruntled in a church. They were very upset. They had a meeting with the pastor. They let him know they were upset, and they said, we're leaving this church. We're going to find another church across town. He said, okay, fine. I sure hate to lose you guys. I'm sure sorry. Well, we're leaving. Okay. They left. It took them a while. They finally found another fellowship. They ended up joining and within about six months of being members there, they found out there were some serious problems in that new church. Some sinful problems. In shock, in horror, they came back to the first church and they said, Whoa, Pastor, you, you never guess what happened. You never guess what we found out. What's going on over there? We had to leave. We have to come back. Well, he said, Well, I'm glad you're back. He said, Uh... Yes, I, I'm not shocked. I, I knew about that. And they said, what? You knew about that? Why didn't you tell us? 
He said, well, you didn't ask. He said, you came in here mad at me, mad at the world. You didn't tell me you were going over there, but you didn't ask. You know, sometimes we find ourselves, we all of a sudden want to make it that person's fault because they didn't tell us. Do a little rewind. (laughs) As mad as they were in the moment, would, would they have listened? Well, they would say, yes, of course we would listen. But, you know, who knows? You know, we know that we should seek truth and we should listen to advice. And if the advice we receive is true, then we should receive it, even if we didn't ask for it. You see, we like, we like justifying ourselves, and we like to say, well, that was unsought counsel. Show me that in the Bible. Unsought counsel? Who cares? Maybe you didn't even know to ask the question, but if somebody gives you truth and you don't receive it, what does that make you? You see what I mean? So if we're going to justify not acting on truth because we say, well, that came from unsought counsel, (laughs) then why do we want to blame somebody else when we don't listen? You see, these are the kind of things that that Jesus is dealing with in Matthew chapter 7. It all comes back to home, doesn't it? Because we need to make sure that our heart is right first before we try to fix everybody else. And by the way, if you ever tried, you already know, you can't fix nobody else. The only person you can fix is you, and good luck with that. That's going to be really hard. It's such a big job to take you the rest of your life. Don't be trivial with truth. Hey, we need to be serious about truth. We need to receive it wherever we find it. And we need to act upon it. And you know what? When we're willing to do that, we will be better because of it. Because truth will always make you better. And then number three, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, miss this. Oh, there's many more, but we're going to stop with this one today. Look at verse seven. So God tells us great advice. Number one, don't be a hypocrite. Number two, don't be trivial with truth. Number three, look at verse seven. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. This is a great principle. These two verses are telling us to ask for good gifts. If you're taking notes, number three is this. God longs to give good things. Ask for them. Ask for them. What's on your prayer list? What would you ask God for if you knew he would give it to you? I'm not talking about material things like a Corvette, all right? Forget all that. I'm talking about serious, good stuff. What would it be? What would you ask God to do? 
if you knew he would hear you and give it? Let me encourage you to ask. Ask for that. That good thing. Because God wants to give good things. And he's saying in these two verses that we should ask. Ask and it shall be given. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to do something. I want you to go to the side of your paper and I want you to, I want you to put the first word. I want you to put ask. Right near next to that little red line or whatever color it is on your page. Write ask. Now, right underneath that word, I want you to write the, the next word. Seek. Right underneath the word ask. Line them up. Seek. All right? And then the next word, number three, you got ask, seek. Right underneath that, I want you to put the word knock. Isn't that what Jesus said? Look. Verses 7 and 8, he said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. That's what Jesus told us to do. Ask, seek, knock. Now I want you to go back to your paper. And I want you to look at the first letter of each word. A. S, K. Just a little hidden reminder. What did James say? He said, you have not because you ask not. He said, you fight and you war and you lust and you kill, but you have not because you ask not. And sometimes we try to get good things through manipulation and hard work and best effort and all of this stuff when really what we need to be doing is asking God for it. Asking God. Ask. Notice what Jesus said to back up these two verses. In verse 9, he said, Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? The answer, the obvious answer class is, no. If your son asks you for bread, you're not going to give him rocks. Right? Look at the next verse. Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Class, the answer is no. That's unthinkable. Right? Who would give their kid a serpent when they're asking for fish to eat? Look at verse 11. He says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Ah, what a promise. So what is God telling us? Good advice, biblical advice for daily living. What do we need to do? We need to be praying more. We need to be asking God for the things that we need and also the things that we're trying to accomplish you know, there may be some things that God's put on your heart to do, and you're trying to accomplish it in the flesh. You're trying to accomplish it in the power of your own strength. And God wants to be a part of that. And he's saying, just ask. Ask. Ask for it. Then seek it. And knock. When you go up to knock on somebody's door, how do you do it? That's not how you knock, but that's not how you pray either. How do you knock? No, that's how you knock when you hope nobody's home. Right? Like you're out on visitation and it's your turn to talk. Please let nobody be home. <laughs> you ever been there? 
I traveled with an evangelist one time, and he had us in, we'd have class in the morning, and we would go out, and we would do visitation in the afternoon. And so in the morning, he told us, he said, hey, guys, when you go to knock on the door, this is what I want you to do. So we want to find people at home. We want to win people to Jesus. You know, we want to bring them to church. He said, we want people to come to the door. He said, when you ask, when you knock. Wow. That gets somebody's attention. Right? Man, you think, man, it's the police, right? Gestapo. <laughs> Who's at the door? No. Hey, it, we're from church. A lot of Saturdays, I put that into practice. Hey, we're from church. We got a big yellow bus that comes around. We're looking for kids to go to Sunday school. Y'all want to ride? Oh, that was fun, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Kids get excited. We give away some candy, sign them up, have mom and dad sign the permission slip. They can ride to the, to the church bus, and they can come to Sunday school. And the next morning, we were coming around honking. Y'all ready to go? We found them eager and excited on Saturday, but Sunday morning, oh, that was another story. <laughs> Sunday morning, boy, we were helping wake them up and helping them get ready, right? Coming around again, come back in five minutes, right? Fun days. You know, Jesus said we need to be more like that when we're asking, when we're praying. Let me show you some verses that God gave us on prayer. We'll wrap up with this. Look at Luke chapter 15, would you? Turn over to the next book, Luke chapter 15. And notice what Jesus said about this matter of prayer. He uses the illustration of someone losing something. And in Luke chapter 15, look at verse 4. Jesus said, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness... And go after that which is lost. What's the next words? Until he find it. Right? Until he find it. Thank you, guys. So the idea here is that you're not just seeking, but you're seeking until you find it. We interrupt this program. <laughs> Technical difficulties. All right, I think we got it. So we're seeking until we find it. That's prayer. That's why he said, ask, seek, knock. That's why Jesus illustrated prayer that way. Look at verse 8. He said, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house, seeking diligently, what are the next words? Till... She find it. This is how, this is how God wants you to pray. Right? Notice what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians. I want you to turn there with me. This is a verse a lot of people don't understand. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Well, there's a lot of good verses in this chapter, but I want to show you this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, pray without what? Ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And some people think, well, what that really means is, when you wake up in the morning, you fall right out of bed and you say, dear Lord, 
And you go all through the day before you finally at night, right before you go to bed, say amen. No, that's not what it means. Boy, you're glad, right? Oh, my goodness. Man, I thought I was supposed to be in prayer all day long, every minute, every hour. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. To pray without ceasing is kind of like that lady who's looking for the coin. She sought until she found it. So when the Bible says pray without ceasing, it means pray until the answer comes. It doesn't mean that you're to be 100% in prayer all day long, every minute, every hour. That's, 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 that's not possible. It means don't quit on your prayers. Because you know, you know what happens is we, we quit too easy. We pray for something and we pray for it and we pray for it again and then, oh, well, I guess God's not going to give me that. And we quit. And I wonder sometimes if God doesn't just wait to see, I wonder how bad you really want to. How important is it? You ask for something big and you expect God just to drop it. And I wonder sometimes if God doesn't say, well, now that's, that's going to take some doing. Take a little time. How bad do you want this? If it's going to take a long time to make it, are we going to at least pray as long? In some cases, we don't. We just quit. And I think that's why Jesus gave us this parable in Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18 and verse 1, the Bible says, and, Jesus, uh, and he spake a parable unto them, this was Jesus, to this end. In other words, the point of the parable was this, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. In other words, not to give up on their prayers, not to stop praying for what it was they were asking for. So he told this story of a, of a widow woman who, who needed to be... Uh, relieved of this issue she she needed help in court and the bible says she went to the judge's house right and she knocked on the judge's door and it says by her continual coming finally the judge said okay okay already i'll do whatever you want just quit knocking on my door and he gave her what she asked for and then then jesus said well if this unjust judge would do that just because she kept coming how much more would your heavenly father take care of you? Which makes me think, wow, there's probably a lot of stuff God would have gave me if I would kept asking for it. I gave up too soon. You ever done that? Well, Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7, biblical advice for daily living, He's saying, hey, there's some good things, good things in life that you need to ask God for. You need to pray for those things, and you need to seek those things, and you need to be knocking for those things, and you need to keep on. And by the way, again, another word study. It's good to do word study sometimes. You can overdo it. Not every word is going to bring out meaning like this. But if you do a word study on that ask, seek, and knock, you're going to find out that those are in the continual sense. They're not a one-time activity. 
In other words, you're supposed to ask and keep on asking, kind of like your kids used to do when they were little. Mama, mama, right? Hey, dad, 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 wait a minute, dad, wait a minute, wait, wait, right? We need to regain some of that childlikeness and come back to God with that kind of sincerity and say, Lord, hey, especially if God's put something on your heart to do for him, and you need help getting it done, or you need some things to accomplish it, by all means, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Look, we need to be praying about things the way we look for our car keys when they're lost. (laughs) Right? Man, tear the house up. We're going to find those things. That's how we need to be praying about good things. And so we need to come to the Lord. Why? Because God longs to give his children good things. What did he say? He said, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to them who ask? So Jesus said, ask. How about it today? This is good advice, isn't it? Good advice for daily living. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be trivial with truth. And ask for the good things because God longs to give them. Let's pray. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you for this passage of Scripture, how strong, how powerful. It reminds us of the way you love us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, I trust everyone here knows you as Savior, but if not, I pray today could be the day of salvation for some. But I pray most of all that all of us would remember how you love us enough to be encouraged to live out this good biblical advice that you gave us. We do thank you, Lord, for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name.